With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Pacific Point of View. I'm Tyler Budge. I'm Hayden Weber. And I'm Colt Almodova. And together we are the Pacific Point of View, coming at you with another Edit Bay episode. Uh, but it's a it's a worthy trade-off just to get Hayden back in the studio. Yeah, I, I could not afford to miss another one. I know my PTO has run out and <laughs> I was on the verge of getting canned. So had to had to pull some strings to make this work, but I'm glad we can get in. It's like old times, guys. This is this is like a throwback to sophomore year right here. Exactly. It builds character using the edit bay every once in a while. Going to a concert tonight, Hayden. Who are yes, you seeing? Yes, sir. I'm seeing John Mayer at the Footprint Center. Okay. That should be pretty fun, so we shall see. All right. Well, looking forward to it. Uh, let's go ahead and just hop right into it with our Wheaties. Hopefully that sound is loud enough to even hear. <laughs> but... Uh, for Wheaties this week, we decided to go with what is your favorite restaurant or food from your hometown? Each of us with a pretty drastically different hometown, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I've got a few hot- hometowns to pick from, but I'm going to go with you know the Phoenix area. It's where I was born, raised for my younger childhood. Look, the Mexican food in this area is second to none. California right there as well. I'm going to go with a Carolina's Tortilla um, it's kind of a, a lesser known, well, if you're from the Valley, it's, it's a very well-known place, but really whether it's a, a quesadilla, a burrito, anything with a Carolina, Carolina's tortilla in it, you can't go wrong with that. Wow. Just, just the tortillas. Well, anything with it. So a quesadilla, burrito. Yeah, but I'm saying the tortillas is what pushes it over the top. Yes. Wow. It's, it's that big of a difference. Okay. In okay. my opinion. I know Colt's going to be very Hawaiian, very long-winded, so let me get mine out of the way. Uh, there's two breakfast places in Gresham, Oregon. I, I decided to stay faithful. I'm not going to go into Portland to pick a... I'm going to pick Gresham. Gresham, Oregon. Uh, there's a place called uh, McCray's. Now, there might be some dispute for my family whether or not McCray's is within the, the city bounds of Gresham, but that's you know that's a controversy for another time. McCray's is known for their 12-egg omelet. Damn, yeah, wow. it, it, and that was just legendary as a kid. I, I haven't been back there as an adult, so I don't know if it's really that fantastic, but that was always good. There's another breakfast place called Biscuits. Shout out to Biscuits. I've been there more times than I can count. I'm going to go with a Tasty Korean Barbecue. It's uh, in my hometown oh. of Mililani. Uh, what we get there? Kalbi short ribs, long rice, mandu, bean sprouts. Yes, these are all <laughs> edible things. Uh, I've been going here ever since I was four years old. My grandma was taking me every single Friday. Uh, all the seating and chairs in there have been exactly the same for the past 20 years. Um, we're like basically family with the lady that runs this place. Her name is June. She's a very nice She's Korean lady. Uh, we give her a Christmas gift every year. Uh, but yeah, I just absolutely love this place. All right. Well, that's pretty good stuff. But, you know, with every great place in your hometown that you love to eat at, there's also bound to be ones that are a little less favorable, maybe maybe downright gross. So what is your least favorite restaurant and food from your hometown? Oh, boy. Um, this, I'm going to break the rules a little bit here. It's not necessarily a restaurant food, but it is a candy that is that is native to Arizona. 
and that's the little scorpion candies that you find at the airport basically every gas station yep. here it's absolutely revolting i don't understand why you would eat a candy with a dead bug in it i don't like bugs so that's something that i can't get over i'm sure i've heard they, they taste fine but i i just think that's absolutely disgusting and i have no idea why you'd get one of those I've never ventured to try one of those no. uh, ever. Um, least favorite restaurant food. There is the worst Burger King in America <laughs> in Damn. Gresham, Oregon. I, it is That's saying something. permanently tarnished my idea of what Burger King is. I, I swear to you, this Burger King has a higher crime rate than Compton, California. <laughs> wow. it, is, it is an absolute crap hole. And it's in like a relatively nice area. It's like five minutes away from my house in like a pretty nice little strip mall. And then there's just this disgusting Burger King that is just constantly surrounded by just like people obviously on drugs and just disgusting bottom of the barrel food. If you're eating at that Burger King at any hour, you have reached a new low. <laughs> <laughs> That's so brutal, man. Yeah. Um, I don't have a specific place. It's just more of a generality of Poke Bowls with weird stuff in it. Okay. okay. I see like these new Poke Bowl spots. They've got corn, kale. Oh. I you see those watermelon, radishes, cucumber, even like mango sometimes. A Poke Bowl shouldn't have that. It should be about like the fish and how you cook the fish with the onion and you mix it within the sriracha mayo and things like that over a bed of rice. It's not something where you're adding fruit to it. No. Yeah. I, I once watched Colt put gummy bears in his popcorn, so I don't oh, feel like there's no. any position here for him to take the high road, <laughs> frankly. Oh, no. <laughs> it's very good, though. I, it's like sweet and salty. And But he also threw in the, like... Hawaiian like kaki arare or something okay. whatever whatever it's called kaki mochi kaki mochi it's like it's with lihing moi powder it's weird a weird these are all <laughs> once again edible things barely though barely <laughs> they make do with what they can in Hawaii but uh, <laughs> let's get to the big picture we've got uh, a few a few you know posing questions okay. uh, burning questions I should say for me to pose uh, both the college basketball and college football national championship game. Neither of them was a close finish. The Georgia TCU game was an absolute blowout, and we watched UConn pretty much dismantle San Diego State. So with both of those in mind, was this the most underwhelming year in maybe history or maybe recent memory for you? This is a tough question for me because when you look at the championship games themselves, obviously, yes, nobody wants to watch a 65-7 to beatdown at the end of the season and, and I didn't think the basketball game was nearly that bad, it, but it was pretty one-sided. I like seeing the underdogs in there, and that's that really draws me to watch those games. Even though, and, and before this year, you rarely ever see a non-blue blood in college football or or men's basketball for that matter, despite their tournament style. So I'm gonna say, no, this is not the most underwhelming year for the college football and men's basketball championship games. Yes, the results were not great, but I think this shows how healthy the competition and the parity in both sports are. Yeah, I would say I would say no, not necessarily. March Madness for me never has been about the final. And so I'm not expecting yeah, like, oh, the true. championship game's gonna be so great this year. It's always about the journey. It's always about those opening rounds, the storylines. And UConn was a pretty good story. Pretty good story, and that game was pretty entertaining, I feel like. The ebb and flow for a little bit. San Diego State did, you know, stage a little bit of a comeback. TCU Georgia was very hard to watch, but ultimately not what college football is built on. College football is built on the regular season. It's built on these home environments, the the culture and everything surrounding the rest of the sport. So I don't I don't feel like it was the most underwhelming. I agree with that take on the, the men's basketball national championship tournament. I think it reminds me of American Idol, where you like yes. watch the first, yes. you know, five episodes when all the singers like suck and try and see if they can make it through. But then once we get to the next rounds, like no one cares about the live shows. Like I'm not following and tracking. Uh, for the college football playoff, I think of games that we've watched in the championship. Yeah, that was probably the worst. For men's basketball, I think about the Gonzaga Baylor game. I think that was like 21 to six within the first three minutes. But I would agree, it's about the opening rounds for me for basketball. So when it comes to underdogs like San Diego State and like TCU, does knowing there's a chance they get blown out, does that make it harder 
to pull for that, in your opinion? No, not for me. But I, I've seen some people say, well, this is why you got to have blue bloods in there. No one wants to watch this. You know, everyone was talking about how the ratings were going to suck for the men's uh, basketball championship game. It, do, it doesn't change anything for me. I'm sure it will for some people, but not for me personally. Yeah, I don't care how much money the people are making that are televising the sport. It's, it's, a, dumb, <laughs> it's a dumb argument. Like, none, no fan is seeing that money. It doesn't affect anybody. So bringing up the, well, it's not going to do numbers, it doesn't matter. Who cares? I think it's high risk, high reward when there's a small school in a big game. I mean, sometimes you're going to get a Boise State beating Oklahoma and the yeah. world loses their mind. Or you get, you know, a dud, a TCU-Georgia game. I think if FAU were to have been in that natty, actually a lot more people would have been interested in seeing, you know, Candace Cinderella do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that kind of goes into the next one, which is just would you rather be guaranteed a close championship game, but it's the same teams, or maybe have more frequently close games, or have underdogs mixed in with more blowouts from time to time? the the second option for me i think you gotta have parity because yes watching i mean we just sat through the first scenario in college football where it was some combination of it was basically just alabama and clemson for a solid three years and then even seeing an lsu and then eventually a georgia mixed in there was like a welcome sight which is crazy to think about it was bama clemson ohio state some combination of those teams 100 percent i'm taking new teams every year, even if it's not necessarily non-Blue Bloods. There's a lot of Blue Bloods in college football, and I think if you can mix them in, you're going to get some fun matchups, but nobody wants to see the same four teams competing every year, regardless of the result. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think necessarily those two things have to be mutually exclusive, a close game because of the blue. I think that's what they want you to think. They want you to think that in order to have a close entertaining natty, you have to have those blue bloods. I don't even know who they is, who this entity is that's out there, but I guess <laughs> people on Twitter. But I think about Virginia versus Texas Tech was college basketball. That championship game went to overtime. Very exciting. Um, think about how surreal it was when TCU took down Michigan. That was awesome because TCU was a huge underdog. And then I look back to Butler in college basketball. When they made the natties, those were some of the most entertaining natties of all time. And even though Butler lost by like 12-1 and one and and they actually had really close in the other, I think it was a two-point game. But I feel like that intrigue of a team that's just not supposed to be there is 100% worth it, it's even if you get a dud every once in a while like the TCU game. And I totally agree. I, I would totally want an underdog mixed in there. However, I would acknowledge there is some hype when we have two programs that either hate each other or maybe two programs with Heisman winners from from previous years that are kind of aligning to face off in the end, even if they're two blue bloods or two big schools like Texas and USC back in 06, that was something we all got excited for, and those weren't small schools. And we can't just sit here and pretend like every time two blue bloods match up against each other, that blowouts never happen. Look sure. at Ohio State Alabama national title in 2020. That was a very one sided game, like 52 24. Notre Dame every time they stepped in the plate. Clemson Bama in 2019. Yeah. Clemson throttled them. Yeah, exactly. So it still happened. Blowouts happen. It is, it is football, it is a sport. Blowouts happen, and that's what makes the close games all the more rewarding. I just, there was a whole narrative. I'm actually never talking about this because there was a whole narrative that got started when Georgia crushed TCU that all these casual fans who only watch the playoff are like, well, every college game's a blowout. Everybody knows this. It's <laughs> a boring true. sport. It's like, no, it's yeah. not. That's not true. It's the best sport in the world. Uh, Hugh Freeze had a very interesting press conference where he suggested, hey, uh, rather than scrimmaging against ourselves, what if we went and scrimmaged against Troy and Bama went out and scrimmaged against UAB? What would that do for these programs? What are your thoughts on this? I think it would be exciting. You sell some tickets. You know, if it's ASU, maybe it's just NAU, right? Or, or oh, some man. other program. Okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, playing a smaller school, you have your, your Power Five and a group of five, maybe an FCS. Why not? I don't see why it would be a bad thing. I mean, you're not going to be exposing your playbook unless you're dumb. Uh, so yeah. you just, you know, if that's a concern... I. I don't know what to tell you, but I don't see why it would be a problem. I think this absolutely should happen because, yeah, watching scrimmages is fun and all, but I think it'd be a little more exciting and it would get a little bit more of a draw if it was an opposing program coming in. 
Cool. Yeah, Hugh Freeze was talking about his program maybe playing like a UAB in a scrimmage. And I think this is huge for, you know, those kids on the smaller schools that maybe want to shine in front of these bigger programs, maybe to get poached in the transfer portal, get some NIL money out of it. What I hope this doesn't turn into, though, if we do start the scrimmage, is if there's a super conference with the Power Five and they don't want to play a group of five teams, this is their one opportunity to scrimmage off and play them, even though it really wouldn't count. Yeah, so I, I think it's an awesome idea. Uh, but something I think that is an even more radical idea I had in this same vein is what if we, this is how we get rid of the FCS games on the schedule. A lot of people always talk about, hey, the reason we still play these FCS games is because the FCS programs will die if they don't get that million dollars from Bama, mm -hmm. right? And so, hey, pay them a million dollars to come play you for a scrimmage. All of a sudden you bring in NAU or whatever, ASU plays that, then we don't play an FCS thing. And that would require some intervention maybe by the NCAA that says, hey, no FCS teams during the regular season. You want to get that money and that exposure and that practice. Just do it in the spring. FCS upsets over FBS teams, it rarely happens, and it rarely happens with consequence. It's pretty much a guaranteed win for the FBS team. So just to put it in the spring, when you haven't seen any football in months, I would watch anyone play right now. I You could put out... The Georgia versus, Georgia I don't even State. know, versus well, Georgia State's FBS, but Idaho, and I would watch that game. So that's my radical idea. Maybe they'll listen to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And it just feels like those FCS games, it's, it's even a lose-lose for the bigger program, right? Because A, you're paying a lot of money. B, if you lose, I mean, you're, you're going to get memed. Yeah. And, and even if you win, it was either expected or... Or, you know, it was too close for comfort, so people are going to overanalyze if you only won by two touchdowns. Exactly. It, just, it makes no sense. Like, if it's supposed to be a beatdown and if it's disappointing, if it's any other result, why play the game? 100%. And if it's spring, if it's spring, you can, I mean, there's no risk of injury. You can just put, you can do whatever you want. Put a red shirt on your quarterback and say, you can't hit him. And they go, okay. Like, yeah. make some, like, you know, there's the lim limitless possibilities. Maybe that we can get a Hawaii Georgia rematch in the spring, uh, but spring <laughs> practice in the regular season. I mean, that still hasn't happened yet. We still haven't played them since 07. You guys need to schedule a home and home. Yes, I agree. Uh, so spring practice is fully going at this point. Any other buzz, news, trends, anything you've been seeing? Yeah, one guy that I was really excited to see was Xavier Guillory for Arizona State out of the transfer portal, and everything that I'm seeing is that he's the real deal. A lot of people think he's maybe not necessarily locked down the wide receiver two spot, but, and you know, I'm just going to say all of ASU's pass catchers I'm really seeing have made some noise. I know Jalen Conyers has been all over ASU Twitter and the media. He just started a podcast, which is pretty cool, uh, with Lindsay Zienti, follow a uh, fellow Cronkite person. But honestly, if ASU can get that passing game going, and if this spring is any indication of what it could be could be a fun season in tempe yeah i've been looking at a penn state recently quarterback drew aller has been getting a lot of buzz a fan of the show heather dinich was uh at there penn state practice this week uh she was like on twitter i can see why penn state fans are so eager to see him take over this offense i think that's pretty important considering this team needs to get over that michigan and ohio state hump this year Posted a uh, post on CF Budge on Instagram today talking about five Heisman Dark Horses. Drew Aller on the list. Let's go. Uh, Tristan Jebbia shed his black stripe today. Ohio State is a tradition where all the newcomers on the team, they wear a black stripe on their helmet and they have to earn the red stripe. Tristan Jebbia became the fifth player to earn his red stripe for Ohio State. He earned his stripes. He's still technically the third string, though, according to everything else you hear. Um... <laughs> Oregon State news, because I'm here for that. I talked about um, some of the Goldbranson, DJ Uyangale stuff. No real update there. However, uh, Oregon State has a freshman wide receiver, Zach Card, who ran the fastest 40 of any player on the team as a true freshman. And apparently the chemistry between him and Aiden Childs, which is the rocket arm four-star freshman quarterback, they have a ton of chemistry. So... Just keep an eye on those two. Could be the duo of the future. Or if something breaks the right way, maybe guys to watch out for. I mean, Anthony Gould is Oregon State's best receiver right now, meaning somebody can step up. But uh, a, a trend that that we've all probably seen. Coaches are very hesitant. 
to name the starting quarterback because they don't want their guys to transfer. So it's it's really difficult to get a feel for what's even happening in those quarterback battles. Yeah, sometimes they'll even wait till the FCS game. You won't even know going into kickoff who the quarterback is. Sometimes. I mean, Harbaugh did that where he was like, there's still not a starter. We're going to start one this game, start Crazy. one this game. So pretty ridiculous I stuff. I think Braden Shager is going to be the quarterback in Hawaii. I think there's no one else. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, is there another option? Not really. Um, you guys had in the script, uh, any big surprises? Uh, Ken New Matalolo, he was the former coach at Navy. Uh, he was in a tough situation because they let him go, but he coached the run and shoot, and there's only, what, like three programs that run the run and shoot, Navy, Army, and Air Force. So, like, where does he go? And so he ended up landing a job at UCLA, their director of leadership. I don't even know what this is. It sounds like a fake job. Uh, but basically, the job descri- description is serving as an advisor to the football staff and the student athletes. Wow. So really, I think the job is poach Hawaiian and Polynesian players uh, oh, from wow. the islands. That's a direct threat, Colt. That's direct what I think threat. Is going on. Well, why don't why don't we keep things over there? Uh, you can give us some some places to put our money this week. Yeah. So, you know, putting your money on UConn actually paid off. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. Massive favorites. Shout out to that guy on TikTok that uh, that uh, told me to do that in February. It paid <laughs> off. But anyways, this week we have golf, boys. It's the Masters. It's all about getting that green jacket. And there's one notable name in golf that has not got his green jacket yet, and his name is Rory McIlroy. He's go. right now plus 700 to win the entire tournament. He's a four-time major champion. He's won at U.S. He's won at PGA. He's won at the British Open but never had this Masters. If he wins this, he gets the green jacket and a career Grand Slam. Not many guys have done that. He started off great. A lot of people are talking about you know, this kind of rise to building to this moment right here this weekend. So hopefully we see that for him. Also a very rootable guy. Um, Tiger Woods is also competing. He's minus 176 to make the cut. That means he just has to last the first 36 holes. He has to finish in the top 50% of the field going into Saturday. And he's done this in the last 22 appearances that he's had at Augusta. So, you know, based on history, he's got to do it again. The last thing is just addressing the NBA MVP race. A couple weeks ago, I told you guys to hammer Nikola Jokic minus 125 to win the MVP. I'm sorry I lost you money. At the time, it was a game between the Sixers and Nuggets. And Joel Embiid Sixers, he didn't play that game when they faced off. (laughs) <laughs> and Nikola Jokic didn't have a great game. So everyone was saying, oh my gosh, Jokic wins the MVP. Is Embiid ducking the MVP race? They didn't play head-to-head. Well, then since we started talking about that, Jokic ended up getting hurt. He hasn't played the last couple of weeks. And Joel Embiid has been having a career past eight days. He dropped 52 points again last night against the Boston Celtics. Jeez. He went from minus... 125 or maybe like plus 100 to now minus 1,000 to win the MVP. So he's a lock now. Today, Doc Rivers and Jimmy Butler said, yeah, this guy's the MVP. He scored half our points. So I'm just shocked at what happened here. I don't like the NBA MVP award. It's a regular season award. It all feels based off of narrative. And I don't know how they're determining this whole thing because in my opinion, the best player in basketball is not either... It's not even Embiid or Jokic. It's Giannis. And so, I don't know how they come up with this, but my quote for the week, guys, swing hard in case you hit it. So put all my money on Embiid to win. <laughs> yes. That MVP. Perfect. All right. All right. Uh, it is time for the Pac-12 section of the show, and this is going to be... It's going to be a lot, boys. We are, we are t- breaking down the Pac-12... For the upcoming season, and we are going to be throwing out record predictions on top of an X factor uh, for each one of these teams, and we're going to go in alphabetical order. Uh, let's start with the Arizona Wildcats. Arizona coming off of a five and seven season, they kind of broke through under Jed Fish into uh, being a competent team, and they won some impressive games down the stretch, including a rivalry win in the Territorial Cup versus ASU, and an upset win on the road versus UCLA. That was very impressive. And so this team coming in this year, uh, they they did pretty good in the recruiting trail, did pretty good in the transfer portal. Who is the X factor on this team? 
there's a lot of options here. Um, obviously, for Arizona, the first thing you got to do is replace Dorian Singer, who went to USC. He was he and Jacob Cowing, along with Jaden Delora, that was one of the most threatening, call it passing triple threats, if you want to call it that, in the conference. So can they find a guy to offset Jacob Cowing? Because if not, opposing teams are just going to scheme Cowing out of the game and Delora is going to have no one to throw the ball to. So the X factor for U of A is whoever that wide receiver two is going to be. I have no idea who it's going to be at this point, but it's going to be really important that they identify that person and that they step up. I remember reading they they got a, a handful of receivers mm. from, I think it was the group of five level to come in. Can't remember any of their names, so I don't know who it'll be either. I said Jaden Delora. Uh, he made some mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes last year. I think he has to limit his mistakes this year. I think the big thing for U of A, man, you got to get to a bowl game. This is something that they've been building toward five and seven last year. You have to win one of the big ones this year. You beat UCLA last year. Try and do it again. Don't start off cold. And I think for Jaden Delore, you've been in the system now for, this is going to be a second year, third year in the Pac-12. Second year at U of A. This, this is a huge year for him. I honestly think if they can get to a bowl game, it'll do wonders for this program. All right, and with that, it's time for a record prediction. I'm going to go 6-6. Six and six. They go 4-5 and five in conference. There's really a couple toss-ups on the schedule, but other than that, you've got obvious wins at NAU and UTEP and a couple other sprinkled in here and there. They need to win those couple toss-up games that there is, and it could end up coming down to Tempe. We'll see uh, in that territorial cup matchup. But I think U of A will go into that game having already clinched a bowl game. So I think they finally get over the hump this year. I flipped back and forth on their record. I settled on seven and five, which is an optimistic view for their season. I seven and five, five and four conference losses to Mississippi State, the LA schools, Utah, Washington. I think this team has a really hard ceiling at eight wins. There like is not a scenario that plays out in which they they win eight or more or more than eight games. Uh but they definitely can miss a bowl game because I have them winning games against Washington State. I have them winning one against Oregon State, and I have them beating Colorado. Any three of those games they can drop. It's the Pac-12. We know it is. But I'm going to go with 7-5. and five. I trust them to make a bowl game. It feels like Jed Fish has rebuilt this program the correct way, and the Justin Flow get in the portal really uh, ups your confidence level in this team. I got this team going 6-6. Six and six. I think the start is very important. I think they could very well go 3-1. and one, And if we want to get to a bowl game, 3-1 and one is very important to getting there. The back half, I'm looking at that at Colorado game. I think that's the make or break, whether or not we're going 5-7 five or five and seven or 6-6. Six and six. All right, so there is the Wildcats of Arizona. Let's go to Arizona State. ASU coming off of a very brutal season three and nine only a was it was it a singular conference win over washington or was there there was two colorado, the other one against colorado washington. so three and nine two conference wins herm edwards is fired uh the sean aguano show rolled for a little bit there but this offseason kenny dillingham comes into town and there's a lot of change around asu so who's going to be the x factor for the sun devils this is tough um i think i want to go with someone I'm going to go with a couple, you know what, the offensive line. The offensive line is really important. I think you could say the wide receiver too next to Badger as well, but I'm going to go O-line. Whoever the new quarterback is, got to keep them upright. That was a bit of a problem last year. Um, we don't know who the running back is going to be. It could be Tevin White. It could be Cam Scadaboo. Not sure who the running back is going to be, but it all runs through the offensive line. And they did just lose one of their big transfers in Ben Coleman, possibly for the season. So really establish that group because like much of the roster, it was pretty much entirely made up of transfer portal players. So getting those guys to gel quickly, I think is going to be really important. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of the running backs in that running back room. Also mentioned to Carlos Brooks, transfer from Cal. And I, I think that these guys are an X factor because they're replacing X. X validate. Yes. Quite literally yes. an X factor. So uh, whatever guy wins that job, I think is a big X factor because the running game is a big success for this team and also a pretty big part of what Dillingham tried to do at Oregon. They also had a really deep running back room. So it's not even necessarily one or the other. It's if these guys can work in unison. 
talking about working in unison, I think for me, it's about the relationship that Dillingham can have with whatever quarterback he chooses. If he can do with what he did with Bo Nix at ASU, man, this team is going to be set up for the next few years. And I think, you know, they've got a kind of a tough schedule, but if he can figure that out, they'll be all right. All right, so it's time for record predictions, Hayden. Six and six. I think there's the the two games after Southern Utah are really going to determine yeah. that. I think Oklahoma State and Fresno State, both at home, both winnable games, but ASU could very well lose those games. I have ASU splitting. I, I could see them winning or losing either of those games, yeah. any combination, whatever. I, I think they're going to beat Oklahoma State and then lose to Fresno State because that's historically what ASU does. They get the big Power 5 win and then you know fumble the bag against the Mountain West team. I think they're going to have to beat Arizona there at, at, in the last game to get in because before that, it is a murderer's row of Utah, UCLA, Oregon. That is a tough, tough stretch there in November. So if ASU can get the cutback, I think they're going bowling regardless, though. We, we need fun football here in Tempe this year, and I if nothing else, I think we're going to get that. This team will be more fun to watch than last year's team, 100%. And when you're making these game-by-game -game predictions, it can be really tough. And sometimes there is a team that gets the short end of the stick, and I just think ASU is the team that has gotten the short end of the stick on mine. I, I have the number at 3-9. and nine. It Ooh. feels really filthy to have that. And, and it, in a vacuum, I feel like I'd pick this team to win at least five games. But when I'm going back and forth on these, I just don't like the way the schedule pans out. I, I have the losses to Oklahoma State and Fresno State, but they could flip one of those to get to four. I think the Cal Cal game is a win. I have them beating Colorado, but even that is a sketchy one to me. The U of A game, I think, could obviously go either way as well. So I could 100% see that 6-6 six and six happening. But as I broke it down, what it came out at right now is 3-9. and nine. By no means is that what it'll stay at for fall. It could be, but uh, that that's just where I'm at right now. What I spat out was 4-8. and eight. Um, I don't like that early start. Oklahoma State... Fresno State, if you lose that Fresno State one, I feel like it's demoralizing going into the USC game. Man, I think they only get one win in their last five games, and that's going to be against Wazoo. I just think it's going to be a brutal season for them. Um, but obviously off to a good start for Kenny Dillingham, just in terms of the culture. It reminds me of Timmy Chang. His first year wasn't necessarily about the wins. It was about you know reshaping the culture. All right, we're on to California as we move down alphabetically. Cal went 4-8 and eight last year. This was a team that had some early noise after a big win over Arizona in conference and then completely drifted off into nothingness, uh, finishing at 4-8. and eight. Justin Wilcox, his job is maybe up in the air, but does the Cal, like, do they care enough to fire him? Apparently not. Uh, who's the X Factor for Cal this year? That is really tough to identify. I'm just going to go Justin Wilcox because he's simply put coaching for his job. In my opinion, if you're Cal and you're serious about winning football games, you cannot bring him back if you miss a bowl game. And looking at the schedule, that's going to be pretty tough to do. Uh, I think Cal is in a very similar tier as ASU, Colorado, you know, kind of the, the lower tier of the conference. I think they're better than Stanford on paper, but just the schedule. I, I, I don't know if I see a good season in store. But if Wilcox can rally the troops and figure something out, we'll see. I don't see it happening with Cal this year. I do not see it happening. I The number that, that I spit out for them is 2-10 and 10 with an 0-9 conference yeah. schedule. I'm 3-9 and 9 for what it's worth. Yeah, and I just, uh, I just they're, they're the odd team out, the clear odd team out. ASU still finished, I think, ninth in conference with the record I gave them because they're still in that, that a healthy mix. But, you know, we'll talk about the other team records. Cal is easily dead last. It's not even close for me. And it's just because of all the negative energy. There was a scenario this year where Cal rips off a couple conference wins, maybe went, maybe makes a bowl game. There's a scenario where that happens. But the scenario I'm seeing play out is some demoralizing early losses. Um, and it just... Two and ten. I, I don't. I guess I was supposed to say my X factor, huh? Sam Jackson is my X factor for Cal, the the quarterback there. I think you'd add another dimension to the offense. To echo what uh, Hayden said, I wrote down get to a bowl game or Wilcox is sacked. But in terms of X factor, 
I mean, Jaden Ott was an X factor for about what three weeks last season <laughs> against Arizona. Basically, they need something <laughs> similar where there's just something to get excited about with this program. This has been a program that's been, as I've said for the past two years, tough to watch. So at least if they're watchable next year, that's already a step up for me. All right, what do you? What do you two, I, I have them at two and ten, two. losing to North Texas and Auburn to start off. Oof. That is that is a yikes moment. If you lose the North Texas game, I think I don't think they'll fire Wilcox then, but writing is on the wall. If you lose to Idaho, then oh, it's, it's over. really over. It's over. Uh, so next up, we have Colorado. A lot of noise around this program right now. So much noise that you might forget they went one and eleven last year. Coach Prime, he's brought his luggage, and it's Louie uh, into Boulder. And uh, who's the X factor for this team? A lot of options to choose from, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go the safe route. Shador Sanders, we know um, he can be very productive. He's obviously a dual threat quarterback. Was very good at Jackson State, but really all of those other Jackson State guys who were key contributors that came over with Dion, can they translate that to the Power Five level? It remains to be seen. Um, I I certainly think they can, but in my opinion, it might take a year to kind of get warmed up. Uh, but curious to see who you guys think. Yeah, my X Factor, I wanted to go with a guy that was has been on the team and been around the team and a guy that said, Coach Prime's coming to town, I'm going to stick around. Jordan Tyson, he won the Wheaties last year. He's a fantastic punt returner. Uh, he might return kicks as well, but he's a great receiver as well. And I think in special teams where he could really carve out a role for himself, obviously he'll be catching balls from Shador. I think he could really flip some games and make some big plays that Colorado's going to need this year because they're going to be a little bit thin on the in the trenches. They got a lot of great skill guys, but not a lot of that interior talent really transferred over for Colorado. You know, with Dion bringing in his son, I think that offense will be exciting, as you mentioned. I think Travis Hunter, though, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that could be very electric. He's a play up to his NIL money that he's receiving, and I think that's something he can do this year at Colorado. But man, to start off against at TCU, it's just a rough, rough way to get things going, I think, for, for Dion. Yeah, that's a definitely a tough opening uh, game. But Hayden, let's put a record on it. I got four and eight. I think they do beat Nebraska, which will start some excitement. Um, but other than that, kind of similar to what you guys thought about ASU, I think they're going to be better than their record indicates. I have them four and eight. Just that, that last stretch there, Oregon State, Utah on the road, Wazoo on the road, and Pullman mm. late in the season. Yeah. That's never easy. On Friday. You know, they're going to have to beat Stanford, Arizona, Arizona State if they want to get to a bowl game and at least a couple of those. I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, so I, I ended up bouncing to the same record, 4-8. and A little bit of a different way to get there, but I think Nebraska, Colorado State, Stanford. I actually said, hey, maybe by the end of the year they're rolling enough to get a weird win in Pullman on a Friday. But I really like the Cormani McLean Travis Hunter duo. I love the weapons they have on offense. Like I mentioned before, depth in the trenches is going to be their main concern. And there is still the skeleton of a 111 team hanging around this roster. And I think that's something that'll become apparent. But four wins after a 1 1 season, and I think they'll be competitive in a lot of these other games. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. I think traveling to Boulder. If not this year, by next year, that will be a dreaded place to go play. Like, oh, we got to go play Coach Prime and the, and the Buffaloes. And that that is a lot to say about a Colorado team that was miserable last year. 4-8, and eight, same thing here. Um, I think they get a sneaky win against Oregon State late in the season at home. Uh -huh. I think that's just going to be a tough trap game for an Oregon State team that might be rolling, doing pretty well heading into that one. All right, so Colorado, there it is. We are on to the Ducks as we can continue alphabetically. The Ducks are a team that saw their playoff hopes crumble late in the season with losses uh. to Oregon State and Washington. They ended on a high note with a bowl victory, but they really felt like they could have done so much more. So now in year two of the Dan Lanning era in Oregon, who's going to be the X factor? I'm going to go with kind of just a broader theme that's been kind of holding this program back. They have consistently lost the second to last game of the season with playoff hope without fail going into the Oregon State game. Arizona State on the road in Tempe. I'm not predicting an upset, but we know what happened the last time. They were a playoff hopeful. 
coming to Tempe late in the season. They have got to find a way to avoid that second loss late in the season. Yep. If you go if you go 12 and 1, given Oregon's schedule and how strong the top half of the Pac-12 is, they could go to the playoff. I'll save my record prediction, but they've got to find a way to close their season out, finish strong. Yeah, X Factor Dan Lanning. Last year they were two critical fourth down calls on their in their own territory against Oregon State and against Washington that they failed to convert and it cost them two games and two of the biggest games of the year. I think that is just growing pains. At first year head coach, you want to be aggressive. You've been watching other guys do it as a head coach and you're like in that situation I'd go for it. And he tried it and he said, "Oh, that's why they don't do that because the risk is very high." I look for Dan Lanning in his second year. It's not just those two isolated plays, other few things, maybe the the game plan against Georgia as one of them. I'm looking for improvement in that area from Dan Lanning in year two. Looking at Bo Nix, was it you or was it Dillingham's system Mm. that that helped you out? Because you didn't look like this all the time at Auburn, and you looked cracked last year at Oregon for that middle part of the season. Um, Man... Oregon's a team. I look at that ASU game, second to the last. I'm going to reveal my prediction. I have them actually going 11-1. and one. Uh, I think they end up falling at Utah in the middle of the season. But I think Pac-12 championship and maybe even a playoff berth uh, on the line here for their season. Wow. I, I've got 10-2. and two. I think they lose on the road. Washington and Utah. If they can find a way to split those games, I do like them to go 11-1. and one. On paper, they're right up there with USC in terms of talent. It's just a matter of, you know, can, can those are two brutal road games, uh, Washington and Utah. So if they can find a way to split there, they'll be golden, but I, I don't think they will do it. I've ebbed and I've flowed on this Oregon team all offseason. At a certain point, I think I had them in, like, my top five teams in the country. Uh, but I think they lose games to USC and Utah in the regular season, I think, that USC game could end up being really fun and the first really good matchup between those two programs since like the Andrew Luck, uh, what was it, Mariota days or whatever it was, and that might be two different eras I just mentioned. But 2011. Right, um, right I, I've got Oregon going 9-3 because I think they lose those two and I think they lose at Texas Tech Whoa. I, in Lubbock. I All just right. I love that Texas Tech team and that is a brutal, brutal game to play early in my opinion. Um, I just think they might just get the best of the Ducks, but this Ducks team is good enough to win a conference title, and they are good enough to make the playoffs. It's just a matter of them going out there and executing. I just don't think they will. Side note: Where does the hype for this Texas Tech team come from? Because you've been you've been actually very high on them. Yeah, I can I can go right Briefly, ahead and tell you. Yeah. So Joey McGuire is Texas Tech's head coach. If you remember, two years ago they fired Matt Wells in the middle of the season, okay. even though they were like. Five and three. It was a really confusing move. In comes this guy, Joey McGuire, who coached a high school in Texas, one of a really good high schools for a long time, led him to a ton of state championships. Mm-hmm. So he gets there. He instantly starts reeling in Texas talent mm-hmm. through the recruiting and through the transfer portal. And this roster, you just watched it get better and better. And at the end of his first year, he pummels Mississippi State in the bowl game. Then this last year, you see them get wins against uh, Texas. They might have even beat Oklahoma this year. They were really competitive in a lot of the games. They had a few weird ones, but they had some quarterback health issues. They have Tyler Shuck, former Oregon quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. leading the way. And then at the end of the year, they crush Ole Miss. So now it's back-to-back years where at the end of the year, they're rolling and they crush those teams. It was just a lack of consistency. They remind me so much of the way Oregon State was built in their current iteration. I just think this next year could be that step to that 10-win year that the Beavers just had. But... Mm. There's my sidebar on, on why you should bet on Texas Tech. That's interesting. Uh, but let's talk about Oregon State. Oregon State, a 10-win season, their third 10-win season in program history. Historic. They beat the Ducks, uh, ended a losing streak versus Washington State, and ended the year beating Florida 30-3. to I mean, Oregon State is sky high right now. Who is their X factor for 2023? It's got to be, for me, Damian Martinez. Uh, is his ceiling as high as we think it is? And if it is... He could be one of the great running backs at Oregon State. And that's saying something because Oregon State has cranked out great running backs. So if Damian Martinez can take it to the next level, if you will, as if there really is another level to go, I think he could unlock possibly a whole dimension of this Oregon State offense that you, you combine that with Brian Lindgren and the insane offense that he calls, this team could be filthy next year. 
Yeah, tight end Jack Vailing. Uh, he's very young, and I think he's just as good as Luke Musgrave was, who's a projected like second-round pick right now. Or first in some drafts. DJ Uyunglele is also there. <laughs> I mean, if this guy's actually good, that could be the difference between a great bowl game you're playing in at the end of the season or the Pac-12 championship or a CFP bowl game, like a New Year's Six type bowl game. Um, I have this team actually starting off 6-0. and I think they're wow. going to start off to an absolutely hot start. Just won't be able to sustain that. But, man, if you can build off of the momentum from last season, I'm looking currently at a 9-3 and here. I'll do you one better. I got them 7-0 starting the season. Wow. But, unfortunately, Jeez. I think they lose a fluky game in Tucson. And then mm. I think they close the season out with two really tough losses against Washington and Oregon. But, absolutely, if they can beat Arizona and they're, I don't know, 10-0 and going into the Washington game. Exactly. I mean, I just on, on the crazy. other hand... We, we look at it on paper, but I feel like there's always that one team in the Pac-12 that it makes sense to take the next step, and they crater. Given that this is a well-coached football team, and there's a lot of continuity, I don't think that's going to be them. I do like Oregon State to go 9-3 and three and kind of keep the solid progression and, and raise the floor of the program. Yeah. The O-line's still going to be elite. We brought in an awesome quarterback in the transfer portal. We killed it with defensive ends in the transfer portal. Defensive front really been shored up. Our strength last year, however, was our secondary. We had the best secondary in the Pac-12, and yet we lost three of those guys. We lost Jaden Grant, we lost Rajon Wright, we lost Alex Austin. It is going to be tough in the secondary, and I think that regression will be extreme enough that things on defense are not going to look the way they did last year. And because of that, I've got us going 8-4. and four. I think we lose games to Washington State and Arizona that aren't going to make a ton of sense, but... I think it's just what's going to happen. We're going to get caught off guard a few times. And then Washington, Oregon, I have the other losses. Uh, we're going to take a brief break to play an ad from SeedGeek. Uh, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, but you can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BELLYUPSPORTS at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Thanks to SeatGeek for that little ad spot there. But let's talk about Stanford. Stanford coming off of a 3-9 and nine season. Not ideal at all. David Shaw is gone. In comes Troy Taylor, uh, who's the X-Factor. And, and why don't you just give us your record prediction as well? All right, yeah. Not a lot to talk about here. I guess Ari Patu. Uh, is he going to be a competent quarterback? Is he going to be terrible? I don't really know. I think there are so many problems with Stanford that it goes beyond quarterback play. So... I guess he's my X factor. I got Stanford going three and nine. I do think they t take two non-conference games there, um, and then I do think they win the Axe back in just a weird game between two defeated teams at the end of the season. But yeah, three and nine for Stanford. Not a lot of look to look forward to on the farm. Ari Patu as well. Just what's what's his deal? What's his thing? Uh, and four and eight. I actually okay. think I think they could win a few more than people think. I actually had them at five wins when I first spit my record projections wow. out. Wow. I, I, I do have a little bit of faith in Troy Taylor and the talent on this team, but back to four and eight. I'm a little bit more conservative on them now. Yeah, I have Hawaii beating Stanford this year, so that's already going to knock into their uh, prediction. I got them going two and ten. But this is all about building a program. This is something that has been ingrained with uh, David Shaw. Now it's a new era, the Troy Taylor era. You're starting from scratch. And once again, like I said with Timmy Chang, you just got to change the momentum of the program. And it starts by unsuspending your mascot. Yeah. UCLA at one point was a top 10 team in the country last year. They kind of sputtered a little bit as the year closed out. Losses to... USC and a loss to Pitt in a bowl game to finish 9-4. Still a great year, but Chip Kelly and the Bruins looking to take a next step. Hayden, who's going to be the X Factor? And we might as well. We'll, we'll keep well, pairing the record with Yeah, you. I'm going to go Carson Steele, the transfer from Ball State. We know that Chip Kelly offense, dual threat quarterback, and a solid three down running back. If they, you know, I'll throw Dante Moore in there as well. Those two, assuming they make it as the starters, could be Colin Schley. Those two are going to be the X-Factors on offense. 
I've got UCLA going seven and five. A little mm -hmm. bit of a step back this year, but still overall programs in good shape. Colin Schley is my guy as well. For some reason, I feel better if he wins the quarterback battle because of the experience at Kent State. Seven and five is where I've got him going as well. Uh, I just think that this team is—it kind of feels like a, they're bridging the gap to next year. Not as not the same beast that they were last year. Chip Kelly starting something new. Had DTR for the past few years. I think whether it's Colin Schley, Dante Moore, new QB. Is it going to be a problem? Hopefully not. I do think they're going to regress a little bit back to 8-4. and four. There we go. And USC coming off an 11-3 season. Could have been so much more. Losses in the Pac-12 championship game and a crushing loss and a comeback victory to Tulane. Had them at 11-3, but what can Lincoln Riley do in his second year in the Pac-12? I'm going to go, for my X factor, I'm going to go Alex Grinch. If mm. USC can get a defense this year, or at least a consistent defense, They'll be in great shape. I don't see it happening. I think their defense, once again, is going to hinder them and keep them out of the playoff. I have USC going 10-2. and They lose on the, uh, on the road in South Bend at Notre Dame, and I think they lose in a shootout against the Ducks. Zachariah Branch is the next Jordan Addison at wide receiver. He's a true freshman. I think USC goes 11-1 with a loss to Notre Dame. And USC, you just gotta win the Pac-12, I think. I think there's a great chance that they get there. And if they can get to the playoff, it's a really big deal before you go to the Big Ten and have to face all those juggernauts in Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. I have them going 10-2. and two. As I hate to mention, the same losses. You're not beating Marcus Freeman on the road. He's no. just... He's too hot. Unless you're Marshall. <laughs> there we go. Uh, we got Utah. Utah went 10-4. and four. This last season, a Pac-12 championship. Rose Bowl loss. Nearly identical to the 2021 result. Uh, how are we looking for the Utes? I think Utah is going to be pretty much the same team they've been, but I think there are a couple teams in the Pac-12 that have caught up to them and will pass them up this year. I once again have Utah going 9-3. and I actually think they go 3-0 and in that tough non-conference slate. I have them wow. losing to the Beavs on the road, USC on the road, and Washington on the road. This team is an absolute juggernaut at Rice-Eccles Stadium, so I guess my X factor is... Can Utah actually get off to a hot start this year and avoid the weird early season loss? And can they play well on the road? Uh, no, they can't avoid that early season loss. I think they lose to Baylor. And then Oregon State and USC, I think, are their losses in the regular season. 9-3, and three, for me, that's still good enough for a Pac-12 title game berth, actually. Their X-Factor will be Brant Keithy. He was supposed to be the NFL tight end this year. Kincaid uh, surpassed him because he was injured. And Keithy's coming back, so he's got a chance to boost his stock again. Just hate the sus start to the season with the Florida and Baylor game, and there's an opportunity there to start 0 and 2 like how they did like a couple years ago. One and, and two was, out the gate. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this team is over. Uh, you know, coach is gonna be gone. Ride it off into the sunset. They're horrible. With with this year, I think they'll retain their success. Eight and four. Cam Rising's back. They should be okay. And next up, we've got the Washington Huskies, an 11 and two season from Washington. I believe, record-wise, the best record in the entire Pac-12 last year, which is pretty impressive because USC ended up going 11-3. Michael Phoenix Jr. is back. Romo Dunze is back. Most of this defense and secondary is back. Uh, and more, more importantly, Kalen DeBoer is back. And their defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator hang around. Despite Phoenix? He's back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the first guy I said, Cole. Anyways, Hayden, who's the X Factor? How's Washington? Yeah, it's got to be Phoenix. Uh, is he for real? We'll find out. I mean, we learned last year that he, he was, but can he repeat? And uh, I think he, he can. I, I really believe in that. Uh, and Ryan Grubb, I think, is a big part of that. And what That's a win to keep him away from Alabama for UW. I've got the Huskies going 10-2. and two. I could see some regression maybe this year, but... I think the safe pick is 10-2. and two. They get their requisite loss in Arizona because they can't win in, in this state. And then they lose to USC on the road. X-Factor, Jabbar Muhammad, their defense, their secondary is 100th in the country last year in yards per game. He's a cornerback transfer from Oklahoma State. Big guy, big get for them in the transfer portal. I hate Washington. 8-4, and four, losses to Michigan State, Oregon, USC, and Utah. This is one of the most overrated teams in the country, in my opinion. Last year, they lost to Arizona State, and they lost to UCLA. They beat Oregon State on a Friday night in Seattle, and they beat the Ducks on the road, impressively. But Bo Nix was hobbled, and an absolute shell of his full-strength self. They play USC and Utah this year. They avoided them last year. Get out of here. Get this Washington playoff talk out of here. 8-4. and four. Yeah, I think they lose to Boise State to start the season wow. at home. <laughs> uh, Boise State, I think, 
think it's a quality team here coming into this year. Won the Mountain West last year. Man, nine and three is what I got them, but actually that's gonna go back down to eight and four because I'm gonna scratch out that win at wow. Michigan State because I think they're on the come up as well. So man, if they can get to the Pac-12 championship, that'd be amazing for them to keep that success going. But even though you return everyone, doesn't mean you keep the same success. True. All right, and now to the Cougars, seven and six season. They lost a bowl game to Fresno State. They were ranked at one point. They were three and zero at one point. And yet, a tough finish to the year. How is Jake Dickert and his Cougar squad looking for 2023? Yeah, I feel like they lost a lot on defense. They lost their defensive coordinator to Arizona State. They lost a ton of players to the portal. Didn't have a great recruiting class. So, I guess the X factor is Cam Ward. Can he shed that Sham Ward name tag? And can he really, I don't know, introduce himself? Because he didn't really do anything last year. He was fine. You know, he was a serviceable quarterback. But he was not the guy that we were expecting, the you know freshman player of the year at FCS. He just didn't look the part. I've got Wazoo going a very disappointing five and seven. I think the schedule's tough. I don't think they beat Wisconsin again. You got Oregon State, UCLA, Oregon losses. I think they lose to ASU on the road. I think they lose their rivalry game and, and another loss. I think they lose to Cal on I have the road. That too. I think they lose to Cal, and ultimately that is what will do Wazoo in. Definitely a big regression in this second or third year under Jake Dicker. I don't see necessarily that happening. They got some really good transfer portal gifts, including Ahmad McCullough. He's a linebacker from Maryland. I don't know why that word was so hard. From Maryland, he'll do a great job replacing Henley and Malgoa, who entered the transfer portal and graduated. Uh, I say 7-5, and five, losses to Wisconsin, UCLA, Arizona, Oregon, Washington. The schedule certainly didn't do them many favors. It kind of got a little bit tougher than last year. They do get a host Wisconsin, which is nice. But I'm going to say 7-5. and five. We're going to look at a little bit of the same. If they can get a bowl win on top of that, Hey, that's improvement. Yeah, hosting a uh, Fickle, Wisconsin. Yeah, I think they're gonna get spanked. Uh, I got this team going four and eight. Man, you get the nice little Colorado State win, but I think that's even a little sus. It's at Colorado State. Anything can happen when you play on the road of these Group of Five yeah. teams to start the season. I think Wazoo lost to what Eastern Washington, or was that U Dub? Wazoo lost to someone early to start the season a few years ago, and I think that could happen. But, man, Jake Dickert, I think this is going to be his true sophomore season. you got to avoid the sophomore slump. I just don't see it happening. All right, Pac-12 championship, who you got? Who wins it? Uh, in my scenario, well, I've got, I've got a weird tiebreaker between USC uh, and Oregon, and I forget who the other team was, <laughs> Washington. Okay, I've got Oregon and USC at the end of the day. I think USC repeats as Pac-12 champs. Not going to be enough to get in the playoffs. Not repeats. Not repeats. Utah. Wins oh, first my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Lincoln Riley wins his first Pac-12 championship. I don't know what I was thinking. Yep. Utah. forgot about Utah. I've got the Utah-USC rematch, and I'm just giving the nod to USC. Unless Caleb Williams gets hurt again, in which case I would take Utah. But for now, I'll stick hesitantly with USC. I'm going Oregon beating USC. I think the team that's going to stay in the Pac-12 is going to win as USC rides off into the Big Ten with a loss. That'd be nice. Let's uh, finish things up with some some short factor fiction. Um, it's Hawaii themed. Factor fiction. Wow. Hawaii goes undefeated. Fact fiction. Okay, thank you. It's a nice win against Oregon. We'll have in there too. Factor fiction. A Hawaii player wins the Heisman this Fact. this year Fact. for the rest of time. Rest of time, yes. Um. Sure. Okay, fact or fiction, <laughs> Hawaii gets a new stadium on time. Fiction. Fiction. I mean, that this doesn't happen. The no rail was supposed is, to be done I was going to say, when's the, when's the rail <laughs> supposed to be done? Uh, fact or fiction, spam and rice is the best Hawaii food combo. I'm going to go fiction. Fiction. I, I was going hard with the, the fish and rice. Sushi's better. Okay. Fact or fiction, Mariota is the greatest Hawaiian of all time. Ooh. You fact. know. I'm going to go fact. I'm going to go How many Hawaiians to, have uh, won a Heisman Trophy, Colt? Just him, but I'm going to go with Bruno Mars as the greatest Hawaiian of all time. Wow. We're talking all Hawaiian. Okay. I was just thinking Hawaiian of all time. The Rock also a little bit, but I'm going to go with Bruno Mars. Okay. Two Super Bowl halftimes. I'm going to go Max Holloway, honorable mention. Yeah, boy. Um, fact or fiction, Dylan Gabriel is the current best college football Hawaiian. I'm going to go fiction. fiction. I think Talia is better. Okay, wow. Hot Lewis take. Sounds better. Fact or fiction, Nick Rolovich should resume coaching soon. Fact! Fact. So here's what's happening at UH right now. We started implementing the run and shoot with Timmy Chang. The last time we did that was Rolo. We were pretty damn good with Rolo. Put him as an OC. Something a quarterback's coach. 
get him a job. All right. Well, there we go. We'll let Michael Scott take us to our outro. All I can do right now is put on a brave face and go out there and be their leader. It's over. We are screwed. Oh, well, that about does it for an Edit Bay episode that notably got a little bit hotter. I'm wearing long sleeves. Oh, boy. All right, let's get out of here. Any any parting thoughts before we end the show? I don't know. I, I'm Colt, is the Hawaii pipeline strong enough that you legitimately think a Heisman Trophy winner will come out of the state of Hawaii? In yeah. play at Hawaii, maybe. Yes, because we've had two quarterbacks now and a linebacker that all could have won the Heisman at some point within the past 10 years. There's got to be someone that stays and wins. You just got to get one to stay. Well, if that's what we got, I'm Tyler Budge. I'm Hayden Weber. I'm Colty Almodova. <laughs> and a, a name change. And with that, <laughs> we wave goodbye. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.